if you work at a startup, no matter who you are as a founder, no matter what your background, sales is an essential skill. I don't care what anyone else tells you, but it is. And the reason it is is because whether you're selling to a candidate to come and work for you, an investor to give you money, or to a customer to buy your product, you as the founder have to be good at sales. Yet we get it wrong all the time. And so today's guest, Dana Publikova, is an expert in helping founders to articulate the message, not so that they are better at selling, but so their products can sell themselves. It's an incredibly beneficial episode for anyone who is a founder because we can always improve at selling and it is a key skill to being successful. She has worked with some of the biggest and best businesses in the world, Google, McKinsey, NASA, to help them improve their ability to sell. And if she can teach those people, I think she can teach us a thing or two as well. I really hope you enjoy this show. There's some really great bits of information and I hope you take them away and you put them into practice and they help to turn that ship you're on into a rocket ship. Hope you enjoy. Your pitch for your business is brilliant, is that we don't make you better at sales. We make your shit easier to sell. Which I think is a magical thing. So look, why don't we dig straight into that to begin with and tell me like, first of all, what does that mean? Okay. And how did you end up in a position whereby you started doing it? So make your shit easier to sell. I feel like sales skills don't really factor in. And some of the best pitches I've seen have come from really inexperienced, maybe awkward, shy, introverted people who aren't your typical sales guy, right? Like like the confident, knows everything, can answer all the questions. They're people who are really, really good at listening and they've identified a really, really clear need and they've identified a really easy way to fulfill that need. So a mistake that I see a lot of particularly early founders making is they're chasing those revenue streams and they're typically really creative people. They've got a lot of ideas, so they can come up with a hundred revenue streams and they try to mash all of those things together to be a business. They don't want to say no to any work. They don't want to miss any opportunity. So you're a graphic designer and you're really good at logos, but you're like, you know what? I'm also going to add a website package. And then, oh, yeah, I can do social graphics, too. I can do all of these things. And then they're a full service agency who has 39, 300 services on their website. And that's really, really hard to sell. If you have 50 things on your website and you spend five hours a week on sales, that five hours is divided by each of those 50 things. So if you want to maximize the time that you as the founder can put into sales, knowing that you also have to run the business and most likely deliver the work if you haven't scaled and hired yet, if you've only got five hours to put on sales, put that five hours on one really, really good thing and sell the hell out of it. And to make it be that really, really good thing, you've got to use the customer, you've got to understand the customer, and you have to make the simplest approach to solving their problem or fulfilling their need. Take out all the fluff, take out all the extra add-ons, stop trying to upsell, stop trying to build these dramatic packages with all the things they could possibly want. Take all that out, sell them directly the most simple thing they need, and that will grow, that will scale. But stop trying to do everything at once. 
I love that so much. I think that's really, that makes absolute sense. And it is, it's a natural, you know, it's a natural inclination of anyone when they start a business to be like, I don't want to leave any money yeah. on the table, right? It's so scary. you see and you're like, oh, maybe I could also do this. Maybe I could add this feature or whatever. And you know, the you know, product is called featureitis or feature creep. Yeah. And it absolutely the same thing happens in sales where you see so many things, but you're absolutely right. Like if you want to be successful at something, you have to focus on that one thing. You know, that's why, you know, you, if you, if you, it's, it's just true for everything. Like focus is the key focus and hard work. And you're absolutely right. Like if you're not focusing on that one particular product, how can you expect that to be successful? I, you know, I really get that. This is the first time I've focused on a business model. I've done, I've done so many types of freelancing. I've had so many types of creative consulting jobs. I've offered so many different types of services. When I got specific, when I built one tight little set of services with one tight little set of needs with one really, really specific customer, that's when shit started happening for me. That's when it got magical. It became much easier to sell, much easier to focus, much easier to talk about. You know, if I think back five years ago and someone says, what do you do? I would say, well, I facilitate workshops. I do design thinking consulting. I facilitate design sprints. I can help people roadmap their products. I can get you to MVP. Um, and everyone's like, what does that mean? Whatever. And now when someone says, what do you do? I'm like, I help people make things easier to sell. And I say, how do you do that? And I say, I focus on their sales communications. It, that's so much easier to talk about. And because mm -hmm. I've got that one central message and that one thing I'm selling, everything I do can fall under that. It doesn't mean that I can't take on other work that comes up, but it means I'm not selling it. I'm not wasting time spending five minutes marketing one of 500 services. Fascinated about how you got to here because you have some incredible clients on your list. Yo, to name some of the, the ones that people you know, may or may not have heard of, the Museum of Metropolitan Art, Google, McKinsey, NASA. These are insanely big names and they're employing you to help to make this stuff easier to sell. I'm not really sure what NASA sells, but um, apart from hopes and dreams. But, the, uh, but still, it's fascinating that you've worked with these people. So how did you get to that, that grade? I mean, I don't, I'm assuming you didn't go straight in there to phone up the guys at McKinsey and be like, hey, guys, let me make your stuff easier to sell. How did you get to there? I was really, really bold and really, I mean, I'm an extrovert. I will talk to a stranger. I am great at that. And I'm really good at spotting people who are at events who are maybe not excited to talk to people. And these are the people I specifically seek out. And so in doing that and in helping other people have a good time at an otherwise boring event, I meet some of the most interesting people. And I've been able through these relationships to talk my way into some ridiculous opportunities. Uh, I, I started as a copywriter and, and I was in publishing. And so I met a lot of people through that. But when I started doing design thinking consulting, it was all relatively fresh and new. It was, um, you know, 2015, 2016. People were buying this. People were buying digital transformation. And just you could be a little generic with that. So if I meet someone, like, for instance, from NASA, I can walk up to them and say, hey, have you heard about a design sprint? Let's talk about it. And, and it really, it was a soft pitch. It was a relationship building thing. They were super curious. And I'm like, hey, let me just come run it for you. And 
using that, I was able to talk my way into other opportunities because they could say, wow, you ran a design sprint with NASA. That's really cool. Um, And when you think about an organization like NASA, you think, oh, wow, they've really got their shit together. Uh, But they have the same problems as anybody else. I like that a lot. Okay, so flipping like your live conversation here. So I'm say I'm there and I'm selling a product right now. I'm a founder and I'm in. I'm about to go to market. I've got my MVP ready. I'm ready to go and start selling it. Okay. And I'm looking at my pitch. I'm looking at my go to market. And you have a strategy about creating that narrative around it and how you, you should articulate this to people. What are the steps that I should, and yeah, you've written a really great article on um, Medium, which I will share in the comments. But the um, one thing I would love to know is what would be the first steps that I should take? How, what's the perspective I should have when I'm putting together my sales pitch or thinking about how to sell? You should take yourself out of it completely because everything you are assuming about your customer is based on your experience. It's tainted by your own opinions and any information you're going to take in is either going to further validate your own assumptions and beliefs here. Um, and, and you're kind of, you're going to pick and choose the information that confirms that, that confirmation bias. So Instead, you need to talk to as many people as possible who fit that customer profile, which means if you're trying to build an MVP without a really clear customer profile, you've already wasted money. You've already gone down the wrong path. If your customer is everybody, your customer is nobody and you're not going to sell anything. So pick a really, really, really specific type of person and then get to know everything about them and ask them open-ended questions. Don't ask them things like, when you wake up in the morning, is it frustrating for you to get transportation? Ask them, what is it like for you when you try to go to work? What kind of things are you experiencing? What's happening? You know, get people to tell you stories about how they experience the world and use that as data to drive the solutions. Because you may get in there thinking you're building a very specific type of thing. And as you uncover what's really happening and what people are really experiencing, you may uncover a completely different business model. That is what happened to me. That is why I'm running this business today. I was running a design thinking consulting business. I was selling design sprints and facilitation and UX design and product road mapping. And I was looking, I was having these sales challenges because nobody was really buying what I was selling. It was too complicated. And as I looked around at my competitors, who were all my friends, because it was a very small network, we were all having the same sales challenges. None of us could sell this because people couldn't understand it. So what I did was take our methods, our design thinking methods, that's the user-centered design, that's this user research I'm talking about, this open-ended, understand the customer's experience research. And I used those processes to change the way we were selling these processes to that audience. And in doing that, I kind of unlocked this path to use those methods for selling pretty much anything. You know, I I started in services. I was just B2B services, service providers, but I've taken on clients in the product space and in direct to consumer and the methods still work for that. So I helped my clients use this same process and it made sense. And it was really, really cool. And they were my competitors. So I was helping my competitors scale these huge businesses and making all this money. 
And I realized, okay, I don't want to sell that anymore. I want to sell selling that. I want to sell this that yeah. helped that. So it was, I mean, it was a completely different path than I had, you know, set out to do. I never would have called myself a sales expert. I never would have thought sales was my space. And yet here we are. No, I love that. I think it's really great. I think that that piece of taking yourself out of the equation and speaking to your customers and asking those open-ended questions, to try and find out how they articulate and using that back against them. You're not against them, but using that to, to sell it to them. I think that is, I think that's yeah, really great, actually. I think that's really, um, uh, really, really quite poignant because I think it's, it's something that people are quite afraid to do. People tend to try and speak to the customer to validate their idea rather than discover what's the best way to articulate it and the real value. Because naturally when you go, yeah, naturally when you go and speak to them, you're like, Hey, look, I beat this amazing thing. Do you think it'd be good for you? And of course they're gonna be like, well, yeah, I guess so. Do you mean, but like you have to, you have to have those hard conversations because that's where the real value comes and the real magic. I, I really, I really appreciate it. I'm glad that you're reiterating that message. So when you're going through that process and you've spoken to the customer, you've asked these amazing open-ended questions, you've collected all of this data, how do I then use that in a, in, a, in a way that's functional and effective for me to then go and sell to those customers? Yeah, perfect. So when you're, when you're interviewing people, when you're getting to know them, you're kind of getting to learn the language that they use. And it's entirely possible that what you call it when you sell it to them, like say you're calling it, I don't know, pancake flippers. And they don't use that word, but maybe that's the correct terminology for it. Maybe they say spatula hands. I don't know. I'm making this up. If they say spatula hands, you got to change all your marketing, marketing to be spatula hands, even if it makes you cringe. You have to call it the dumb thing that they call it because you have to think about what do they Google. When you have a problem, think about like, Dr. Google, right? You're feeling a little sick. You have to go Google something. You're not going to Google heart attack. You're not going to Google cancer. You're going to Google arm pain, headache, sweatiness. You're Googling your symptom. You're not Googling the solution. You're not Googling the pharmaceutical name for the thing you think you need to take. So if I'm selling you, for example, a design sprint, if you need a design sprint, you're not searching for a design sprint. You're searching for how do I get my team aligned? How do we solve problems faster? Those are the things that you need to solve your problem. You're not looking for the solution. And the biggest mistake I see people making in their marketing and their sales communications is calling it the thing that they call it, not what the customers call it, and selling it as a solution. Sell the symptoms. Tell them you understand the symptoms. Let them understand that you know exactly where they're standing. Because if I walk up to you and I say, hey, is your team really misaligned? Are you missing deadlines? Are people burned out? You're like, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, I'll pay any amount of money to solve these problems. Well, I have a solution for you. They don't care what the solution is called. And they also don't care about the process. They don't care that you're going to spend them, you're going to spend five days together in a windowless room with walls covered in post-its solving this problem and you're going to do all these brain teasers and exercises. They don't care. They care that you're going to solve their problem and you're going to get their team on the same page. So when I 
one of the things I really love to say, I feel like this is going to be on my tombstone at this point. You're not selling them two planes, a bus transfer, a shitty little vending machine lunch, air conditionless room. You're selling them a Hawaiian vacation. You're, you're not selling them the trip. You're not selling them the transportation and how they get there. You're selling them the results at the end of everything. So that's what your language should focus on because that's what's going to make you the sale. I love that. I think it's really good. All the solution sales trainees here are all going to be like, what? That's not what I was taught. But you're absolutely right. Like, that's not it. You know, and you need to be saying it in a way that, that works for them. And like, you can always tell. I think there's like every community, you can always, one of the key tenets of a community is they have their own language. And the easiest way to know that someone isn't part of the community is um, if they use the wrong terms. Like, you know, there's some universities that uh, don't use the term um, reunion. Um, they use another term, which I won't share because then people will know that I'm a posh boy. But the, um, but the point <laughs> is like if you, but so it, it depends. And so you would know you're not part of that community because you're not using the language. And the same thing is true wherever, for everything that you do, certainly within our sector, there's certain terms that are used within esports that aren't used in other sectors and someone on the outside. And I think it's really important that you say that because that's how you put yourself on their side of the table. That's yeah. how you remove that barrier of I'm a sales guy, you're a customer. You're like, well, we're both here trying to solve this problem together. You know, so let me use the the, the right terms. I absolutely, I, I, I love that. I really do. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying the conversation that we're having here today. Pretty cool, isn't it? But I really quickly want to tell you about a show that I really, really like called Secret Leaders. They have amazing content on there and some really great advice for founders. So you're about to hear from the host right now. So listen up. If you're an entrepreneur in the UK and want to hear some powerful lessons from founders of companies like Deliveroo, Joe Malone and Monzo, then check out the Secret Leaders podcast. Each week, I have a raw conversation with someone who's changed an industry like fertility, esports, raving and crypto so you can build a better business. Want to learn how to bootstrap? create a magnetic brand, get your first customer, or even fire your mum? Yep, that really happened to one of our guests. Search Secret Leaders in your podcast app. See you there. In the current climate, marketing is hard. But do you know what isn't hard? Making sure you never miss an episode of your favourite podcast. So tap the follow button on your podcast and you'll never miss out on the latest episodes of Unicorny or Marketing Difference. You can even go back and listen to our back catalogue of amazing episodes. If you do that, please leave us a review. It would mean so much. So look, people who are listening to the show can tell that you are, you're not British, you are American, um, but actually you live in Hamburg in Germany. It's a very complicated international discussion here. I'm fascinated to know, what is the work difference between the US and, and well, Germany specifically, or more Europe? What is, what is the difference? It's, it's tremendously different. It's a completely different culture. Um, I, I'm used to, and I, I worked in New York city first. So I was like one of those high powered city workaholics, you know? Yeah. Um, and just the amount of time people spend actually working, it, it's so much less. And the vacation days, people use their vacation days, people travel. I mean, even in the U S people with really good jobs just don't travel that much. They can't afford it or they, they don't have the time. Um, one of the biggest cultural shocks was, um, I was working with a client here in Germany. We had been working together maybe two weeks and then I send them an email and I get this auto response 
They didn't tell me they were going out on vacation. They didn't set up any kind of contingency plan. So I get this auto reply and it says, um, thank you for your message. I am out of the office on vacation. Emails during this time will not be read. My inbox will be purged upon my return. Please email again on the 30th. And I was like, that is ballsy. Wow, that is that. straight gangster. <laughs> straight gangster. That really is. Right? I love that. I love that though, but like, it's good. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, I've, I've also, I worked in New York for two years and I know that hustle. I know that yeah. vibe, that presenteeism. I remember sitting in, you know, I was, I was on Wall Street and I remember sitting in um, the office there and I'd come over from the UK and it's like half six or whatever. I'm looking at my watch and I'm like, okay, surely everyone's going to clock off here. Hour later, I'm looking at my watch and people are ordering takeaway to the office. Yeah. This is like showing I'm a thousand years old, but this was like 2009-ish, you know, and people are like, bring it. There's no Deliveroo. They're just avoiding the takeaway guy turns up. And I'm like, I don't want to go home. My boss is still here, you know? Right, and then you like, can't. Do you know what I mean? And so you- If you want the you, promotion, you got to put in the time. You got you to put it in. So I'm waiting, you know, for- this guy's name was Anthony, who was, he sat at the end of my little row of pods. And I'm waiting for him to go because, you know, he, you, got, you just don't want to be the first. You don't <laughs> so want like, to be the yeah, first, like, no. Just let him go. <laughs> and then they go. But then you go and work. And, um, yeah, I've worked in, in, in France. And, um, and uh, you, you get to five o'clock. Bang. We're out. Gone. Done. After Do a two-hour I mean? lunch with one. Yeah, exactly. And, like, you, you, <laughs> it's so bizarre. And then you have, like, um, holiday time in the summer. And they're like... Yeah, I'm going away on holiday. Oh, nice. Now, where are you going? Just go for a couple of Yeah, we go for like six weeks. Oh, of course you yeah. are. Of course right. you are. Never you in my life. But I love it. I think it's good. You know, I don't think the output's less. You know, it's I not. think that. I've adapted yeah. the way I work. So I'm, you know, business owner, married to stay at home partner. And I work until I work eight to three most days. And then I don't work at all on Friday. So by wow. the time the kids get home, I can hang out with them after and school. And that's why you're a founder. I like and it. And then, yeah, right. Exactly. I had a five week maternity leave for twins in the US. <laughs> and five weeks. I don't want to like pull back the curtain yeah. too far for some of our listeners, but five weeks, your body's not, uh, not no, back not. where it should be <laughs> for sitting yeah, yeah, in and, an office. And you're being quite heavily dependent on it five weeks. Yeah. At yeah, five so weeks. She, yeah. Yeah, yeah, should have been you, six you can't weeks, do that. but my Jeez. boss is like, "Hey, I need you back on this project, or it's going on without you." <laughs> it's so, so mad. You know, to I think that's a thing. Last two questions, which we do in every show. All right, first one is: You're a founder. You work with a lot of businesses, and so you will probably have a great one here. What is your startup hack? What is one little hack that you would share with another founder to help them accelerate their business? If you have tried to do something. And it hasn't worked. You're not going to sit there and think your way out of that problem by putting more time on it. Your time is really expensive. So instead of trying to just grind and grind and grind and grind to find a solution to this problem or, or to get something done, suck it up, ask for help, pay for help, bring somebody else in. Because if you could have solved that problem, you would have by now. You know, you're, you're smart, you're capable, but if it's not happening right off the bat, bail out, get help. I love that. I think that's really smart. You just got to know when to pull the plug, right? And when to get help. Yeah. Either or. You yeah. Gotta know. You got to know. Don't waste time on it. I respect that. 
The next one, last question, we ask everyone this. Okay, now that you're in the founder sphere, you, know, you are a founder, you're in the community, you're in the startup world. We have something called we call the startup sin bin. What is one thing that you wish just didn't happen within this space? Oh my gosh, it's hard to pick one here. So I'm going to say most of my clients are founders and startup owners, business owners, small business owners, scale-ups, all that. So a trait that I feel we all kind of have in common is our enthusiasm. We love our business. We love our work. We want to do as much as we can. and. I'm guilty of this too, so I feel like it's okay to say it. When I'm working with somebody and maybe we've just clarified their positioning, okay? So we have this really nice statement. In our work together, we will ultimately roll that statement out and expand it and do some other things with it and whatever. But the night they get the email with the new positioning, they stay up all night, they log into Webflow, and they start rewriting other website copy, and they hit publish. And I think, guys, 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 it's okay. Slow down. You don't have to take this and run with it. We're going to do that. Let's be patient. Let's do it the right way. But that enthusiasm and that, um, you know, we're used to wearing all these hats. We're used to doing all the jobs ourselves. We're not used to maybe entrusting other people to carry out things in our vision. And we're excited and we want to do it. So, you know, let things happen at the pace they're going to happen. Let the professionals do their jobs. You know, you don't have to go make those changes tonight. I love that. I think that's really smart. Patience yeah. is key. Totally. Donna, you've been an amazing guest. I think some of the stuff you've shared here is super powerful. And I think if people put those things into action, I think they will have better results. And I love it. So look, where can people find out more about you and how can they hear more about your wisdom? So I've got a newsletter now. It's full of tips actionable how-tos whatever it's not a funnel i'm not trying to sell you anything this is for the people who would love my help but maybe can't afford me so uh that's the newsletter you can sign up on my website publicover.co my last name it's the word public and over put it together yes that's my real last name uh and then i'm also launching in the next week or so a tool library so Prices ranging from zero to a hundred pounds, things like a um, how to build a lead generation tool with a checklist, make sure you hit all the high marks. And then if it's not working, there's a troubleshooting guide. We've got uh, the ultimate guide to prospecting and selling on LinkedIn and my sales script, which three businesses so far have used to sell their first million pounds, which is really wow. exciting. Worth yeah. the investment. It's a like good that. script and it's 10 bucks. So 10 quid, fantastic. what do you say? 10 quid, 10 quid, 10 quid. All right, fantastic. All right, well, look, great. We'll put the links in the show notes. And look, it's been amazing. Awesome. And um, yeah, I hope I'll pass across again. This is really cool. Thanks so much. Thank you.